What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey, everybody, I'm Zach. And I'm Jesse. And you're watching Tesla Time News, episode 293 on Now You Know. And we're brought to you by our amazing Patreon patrons. You can help support us, bring you independent news every week by heading over to patreon.com slash now you know, and there you're going to find some awesome perks. Thank you to Keeps for sponsoring today's show. Keeps is a subscription service that makes it easier and more affordable for men to treat their male pattern baldness online. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. I am living proof of this, and the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have your hair left. With Keeps, you'll get a free online consultation with a licensed doctor who will recommend the right hair loss treatment plan for you. Keeps offers clinically proven generic versions of the FDA-approved medications for hair loss, which makes it more affordable. If you're looking for real results, you owe it to yourself to check out the testimonials on the Keeps website. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and why hundreds of thousands of men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash now you know or click the link in the description to receive 50% off your first order. Don't put it off. Go to K-E-E-P-S dot com slash now you know. So the Elon Twitter saga continues. Elon made Twitter an offer it couldn't refuse last Thursday. Yeah, I guess 9% of the company wasn't enough for Elon. Well, I think Elon really didn't like what he was hearing from Twitter's board. I don't think he respects management at Twitter. And when Twitter's board tried to limit Elon's control by passing a poison pill, Elon went to the next level. So Elon tweeted out that he made an offer. So on April 13th, Elon delivered a letter to the chairman of the board of Twitter, Brett Taylor, saying, I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. However, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve the societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I'm offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $54.20 per share in cash, a 54% premium over the day before I began investing in Twitter, and a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. My offer is my best and final offer, and if it is not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. He went on to say, as I indicated this weekend, I believe that the company should be private to go through the changes that need to be made. After the past several days of thinking this over, I have decided I want to acquire the company and take it private. I'm going to send you an offer letter tonight. It will be public in the morning. Are you available to chat? Best and final. A, I'm not playing the back and forth game. B, I have moved straight to the end. C, it's a high price and your shareholders will love it. D, if the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Point one, this is not a threat. It's simply not a good investment without the changes that need to be made. Two, and those changes won't happen without taking the company private. Okay, so that's uh, quite the letter. Yeah. 
Now, can we talk about what, what was the poison pill? What are we talking about there? Boards pass those sometimes when they're afraid of having a hostile takeover. They make it very difficult for someone to come in and do a hostile takeover. Uh, that's what they did in this case. Remember, they limited Elon to no more than 15% of the shares if he got on the board. Um, they were afraid that basically you'd get on the board, just keep buying shares and become all powerful and then take over the company. A lot of verbiage in there that would make it so that shareholders would have votes and so that they could kind of you know, pool their votes and stop Elon from taking over the company. Okay. And I think Elon was relying on the fact that he wouldn't need to buy the whole company, that he could get shareholders on his side. And basically, this is a fight over the power of the company, the management of the company. Elon does not have faith in the board or the management, I believe. And he kind of made it clear there in his letter. Yeah. And so just to be clear, Elon has uh, 73,115,038 Twitter shares. Currently, there are approximately uh, 799.2. 61 million shares outstanding. So currently Elon owns uh, 9.14% of Twitter. Right. I mean, I think this is a bad move for Elon for a couple of reasons. Number one, financially. To pay $43 billion for Twitter means that Elon is either going to have to sell a bunch of his Tesla or SpaceX stock. Many of us don't think of SpaceX as having stock, but it does. It's privately held or borrow against it. So he's one of the world's richest people, but his 265 billion or so net worth is largely stock. And so this purchase would use a big piece of that to buy Twitter, which again means that he either has to have banks loan him the money, which now means a lot of debt, or he has to sell a lot of stock. So financially, I don't know. Two, I don't think Twitter is a good investment. I mean, it's a digital social media platform. We all know those come and go. Think MySpace, Vine. I mean, you're constantly disrupted by new apps. Companies are constantly buying and selling those companies. And so think about Facebook. I mean, they bought their competitors out like Instagram and WhatsApp. And then if you don't run them properly, they kind of just slowly die. Twitter is kind of slowly dying. Its user base has not grown that fast. And the third reason why I think this is a bad idea is if Elon takes Twitter private, then Elon opens himself up to all kinds of controversy of either letting someone keep an account open that many people find offensive or taking down an account that people cry is against free speech. So bottom line, Elon can't win. I think I'm going to have to disagree with you here. Elon is going after very specific things in Twitter. One of them is bots. Um, and so, yes, I'm talking about uh, crypto bots, and but also other nefarious and more political uh, bots that aren't real people. So he's not going after real people. He is more focused on going after these, you know, scam bots, but also fake accounts that are shifting the narrative on Twitter. That's something you can do as a shareholder. I'm sure that I mean, nobody likes bots on Twitter. So I'm sure that he could get management to shut that down. I, I who really, does that help? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think that he's looking at Twitter and he's seeing that it's a bloated company full of a bunch of employees that probably aren't doing anything in the the to the benefit of Twitter that he sees. Um, and I don't think that he's you know buying it because it's an investment in a company that he thinks is going to be valuable in the future. He just is worried like that Twitter and to a larger extent, all the other social media platforms that uh, I think Twitter is one of the cheaper ones is kind of making the world maybe a little bit more unstable. Hmm. And so he's really going after it from the perspective of like trying to save the world, which is like his MO. I think the internet and free speech tends to make the world unstable. It's just a byproduct of the fact that we can now all converse 
all over the world. It's something that never happened before with humanity. And so it is destabilizing when you can say something and actually affect a big change. And Elon's the first person to say he doesn't want to stop people you don't like from saying things you don't like. That's what he wants on this platform. He just wants it to be open so that you can see what's being done in the algorithm that, oh, they're upvoting that thing or downvoting that thing. Again, things I think he could affect by being a big shareholder. I think that you're right. He could probably do most of the stuff by being a big shareholder. But I think that kind of like publicity wise, being uh, the sole owner of Twitter, now the private company, he would just have a lot more control. He'd be able to get it done a whole lot quicker. You know what we should do? How about on Patreon bonus stories today? We have this out. All right. Yeah. We're going to talk about this more on Patreon bonus stories because there's a lot of nuance and I don't think that I really got all my points across and I don't think you did either. No, no. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this more on Patreon bonus stories because we just don't have more time on the news. Well, that's one way to do it. I know, right? If you're going to cut costs, that is one way to do it. Oh, you're probably wondering what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that Tesla no longer includes the mobile charger kit with their cars. Now they are charging an additional $275 for the level one charger and $400 for the level two mobile charger kit. Yeah, Elon said usage statistics were super low, so seemed wasteful. On the minor plus side, we will be including more plug adapters with the mobile connector kit. And to top it off, both kits are currently out of stock on Tesla's website. So even if you want to buy them, you can't. Now, Tesla isn't the first EV company to do this. Uh, Kia's EV6 also doesn't come with a charging cable. Personally, I think it's important to always have a charging cable with you. Honestly, I don't think I've ever used mine without having planned it first, but it just seems like a smart thing to have at all times. Um, now, we did do a Patreon poll to kind of figure out how people use their chargers. Pretty interesting here. A lot of people use it as their primary charger. I was surprised by that. A lot of Europeans have reached out to us over the years and say that, like, it is a very necessary thing to have in certain places. Like, yeah, when I used to go to my sister's house before there was so many new superchargers, I had to charge at her house. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, I think that this is important and it seems to have affected Elon because he tweeted out, based on feedback received, we will drop mobile connector price to $200 and make it easy to order with the car. Note, the mobile connector is not needed if you have a Tesla wall connector or to use superchargers. Recommend installing Tesla wall connector well before car arrives. Elon, I'm sorry, you're a little bit wrong here. You're wrong. You say the mobile connector is not needed if you have a Tesla wall connector or use superchargers. You're so wrong. I use both. But there are times when having this is necessary because of where you're going. If you're going to, uh, you know, off the beaten path, like resort or something, mm -hmm. it's nice to have it. I've definitely used mine at Airbnbs and stuff like that. Well, and I also have a level one charger that I charge up with every single night. I use Electron Charger. We did a review on that, actually. It's a it's I think around the same price as, as this will be, mm -hmm. although I think it's in stock now. And it gets me a little bit more charge. Right. I can, it can be right. 16 amps instead of the 12 that the Tesla one can. Yeah, the Tesla one um, is being a little safer. And so it limits your amps, which is a good thing. It's uh, yeah. a good thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it does limit your speed. I think that this is being a little short sighted because. Well, do you think they did it for money reasons? I mean, because you were mentioning there's a lot of copper in that wire and prices are going up. So was it like, hey, if not everyone needs this, let's just save some money. I think that they ran out of chargers, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, that's why they're out of stock now. Mm. And I think they they had to make the call of like, we either are going to stop selling cars mm -hmm. or we're going to have these on back order, mm. which is going to, I, I mean, with the shutdowns that have been happening in China, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if pieces of these chargers uh, just aren't available mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So they had to make a decision. 
I don't think that they made necessarily the right decision. I think that this is a decision that they're probably going to roll back on. Mm -hmm. Is it going to leave some drivers in the lurch? Yeah, maybe. It, it is a $200 thing and you can get other chargers elsewhere. I'm just worried that a lot of new EV buyers don't really know anything about this. They probably don't even know that they have a mobile charger. Mm -hmm. And then at some point they're going to need it and they're yeah. going to go to the trunk or the frunk and be like, where is it? Yeah. Um, because they didn't know they needed it. Right. And then they're going to pull up this tweet and they're going to go, Elon! <laughs> it can save you. It, it can. And I think that at the very least, like I always have mine in my car because it's just a safety blanket. Makes me it, feel good. Oh, okay. But worst case. It's like having a gas can in your car in a sense. Because, yeah, you might be saying, well, but just I can just, you know, finding a gas station and is pretty easy and stuff like that. Finding a 110 outlet like a regular power outlet on the outside of buildings. Even stuff, easier. You can actually find them if you if you know where to look. So do you remember three years ago in 2019 when Tesla said this about the Model 3? Please note, customers who choose leasing over owning will not have the option to purchase their car at the end of the lease because with full autonomy coming in the future via an over-the-air software update, we plan to use those vehicles in the Tesla ride hailing network. Customers can visit tesla.com slash three now to lease a Model 3. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Tesla thought that by now they would have the Tesla network. That would be the ride hailing robo taxi network completely up and running. And all these Model 3s coming off of lease would be used by Tesla in their robo fleet. Well, as we know now, that has yet to happen. But it appears Tesla is still pretty sure it will because now they say on their website this. If you leased your vehicle before April 15th, 2022, you may be eligible to purchase your leased Tesla. Review your lease agreement to see if you qualify. Eligibility. All Tesla vehicles delivered on or after April 15th, 2022 are not eligible for purchase. Third-party dealerships and third-party individuals are not eligible to purchase leased vehicles. Wait, so now if you leased a Tesla after April 15th, which was just a few days ago, uh, you can't purchase any of those Teslas that are coming off of that lease. Correct. You have to turn it back into Tesla at the end of the lease. So at the moment, because there is no Tesla network yet, Tesla turns around and most likely sells those cars as used cars. And now because of the market, Tesla is getting a really good premium for them. Okay, so wait, this new thing is saying that all Tesla vehicles, not just Model 3s, that you lease starting just a few days ago, you're not you're never going to be able to buy them back like out of their lease like you can with most leases. Right. But what about those Model 3s but that people were leasing three years ago that are now coming off lease? Can you buy them back? Because it says in this new thing that all Tesla vehicles uh, leased before uh, April 15th, you can. So, well, just look at your lease agreement. It's in there. Um, okay. Whatever you signed, that's what it is. I'm still not sure whether people who leased three years ago are able to buy their cars. So let us know in the comments. Yeah, if, give if, us a little copy and paste of that section of the lease to tell us whether you can or can't. Right, because I don't have that. Right. Section. And it might be different for different people in different places. We yeah. don't know. It would be good to know. But I do want to point out this shows that Tesla is still bullish on the ride hailing network, the Tesla network. And so for many people who are like, that'll never happen. Well, Tesla thinks it will. Either that or they think that uh, used cars are going to continue to go up in value. I was looking at used cars the other day just on a whim. And uh, I mean, like I could sell my Leaf for the same price that I bought it I know. years ago. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Hey, and please take a second and hit the like button. It really makes a difference and helps share this video with people who want to hear about it. So last year we reported on the Texas Volkswagen Environmental Mitigation Program. Do you remember that? Yeah. Isn't that basically Volkswagen Dieselgate money being used to help air quality in Texas? Right. 
In this case, we reported that the money was going to build new EV chargers. So I've got some good news and some bad news about that. Bad news first, I guess. So the bad news is that according to Forbes, even though Tesla applied for money to build some new agnostic superchargers, agnostic, these superchargers would have to charge any EV, not just Tesla's. Okay, got it. So even though they applied for the grant, the bad news is that Tesla lost the bid. Okay, uh, what's the good news? Well, because it's a government program, the bids were made public and we got to see the numbers. It turns out that Tesla's bid was one-fifth the cost of the others. Wait, what does that mean? As part of the grant process, companies could apply for up to 70% of the cost of the charger. Tesla bid $30,000 per charger, while most other companies bid $150,000 per charger. And Tesla lost the bid? Yep. If you do the math, that means that Tesla's superchargers cost about $43,000 each versus the competitions, which cost over $200,000. And who were the other competitors? EVgo, ChargePoint, and then many of the other big gas station operators. So, I mean, this helps explain why Tesla is surging ahead in terms of building out its supercharger network and why the other charging companies are kind of falling behind. How could they really have one-fifth the cost? So, I mean, this is amazing if it's true. I mean, $43,000 a charger is very cheap. Are well, we sure well, that that's... Well, think about it for a second. Yeah. Tesla has a gigafactory in Buffalo mm. making thousands of these chargers. All the other companies are making way smaller numbers. Mm. What, what do you get when you can scale something up? You get economies of scale. And superchargers are pretty damn simple. I mean, we've seen ones that have been cracked open when people like smash into them. And there's not much in there. I mean, they're... I mean, they're amazing. They're amazing, but I mean, they're they're mass producing them. Yeah. Whereas when you go to an EVgo or an Electrify America charger, the first of all, the thing's huge. Mm. The cables are huge. Mm. Um, everything is huge. And so Tesla, I mean, look at the latest 250 kilowatt chargers, thin cable that's liquid cooled. Like, I don't even know how they do that. Mm. So less materials like so they're constantly iterating and getting the cost down like they do with everything. And you might be saying, well, maybe it still costs them more, but they just ask for less. That's possible. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying here is it shows that something's fishy going on in the grant approval process, in my opinion. I mean, the $21 million in grant money could have gone to making over 700 Tesla or Tesla slash CCS chargers in Texas. Instead, they will now only be getting 170 chargers, all, by the way, placed at gas stations. Ugh. What? I mean, what the hell? Well, I, that's why I think it's fishy. I think in Texas, mm. they went, oh, yeah, gas stations, that sounds good. Let's give them the money. And, I mean, we know that gas stations don't really make money on the gas. Right. They make money on the convenience stores, so they're happy to get those EV drivers over there and going into their convenience stores. Right. I just think, again, that this dieselgate money that's been spent all over the country and all over Europe is largely being spent kind of improperly. Mm. So after three weeks, it appears that Tesla's Giga Shanghai has reopened. Tesla got the go-ahead from the Shanghai government officials late last week, even as COVID numbers in Shanghai have been spiking. Yesterday, April 18th, workers were finally allowed to return to Giga Shanghai, although production didn't start until a day later, today, because of a logistical snag causing a delay. If we assume Tesla is building about 2,000 cars a day from Giga Shanghai, then this means that Tesla lost building about 40,000 cars during nearly three weeks of shutdown. Unfortunately, it looks like Tesla is reopening at first with only one shift, probably due to the number of employees still out either with COVID or quarantining at home. Tesla should be ramping production back up through the end of the month, and this is pretty much what we expected when we reported it a few weeks ago. Will it just be a day? I doubt it. I don't think we're going to see COVID just drop that fast. 
Could it be a week or two? Very likely. Could it even be a month or more? It could. I highly recommend if you haven't seen it already and you love everything Elon like we do, that you watch Chris Anderson's TED interview with Elon, which streamed live on April 14th. I thought Chris did a really good job interviewing Elon, both in the Gigafactory a week prior and then on the TED stage, talking about a range of topics from Tesla during the tough years of 2017 through 2019 to the future of Tesla bot to Elon's proposed takeover of Twitter to Elon's Asperger's and his childhood. In part of the interview, Elon shed more light on his view of what happened back in 2018 when the SEC investigated him after his now famous tweet. Elon is still really bitter about the settlement that he feels he was forced to take with the SEC. Remember, he tweeted out uh, in 2020 this. He said during last week's interview with Chris, funding was indeed secured. I should say I do not have respect for the SEC in that situation. I don't mean to blame everyone at the SEC, but certainly the San Francisco office. The SEC knew that funding was secured. They pursued an active public investigation nonetheless. At the time, Tesla was in a precarious financial situation, and I was told by the banks that if I did not agree with the SEC, that the banks would cease providing working capital and Tesla would go bankrupt immediately. So that was like having a gun to your child's head. So I was forced to concede to the SEC unlawfully, those bastards. You bastard! And now it makes it look like I lied when I did not in fact lie. I was forced to admit that I lied to save Tesla's life, and that's the only reason. Wow. So wait, that that settlement agreement that happened back about that, that, you know, funding secured tweet and everyone was like, Elon lied. He didn't have funding secured. He did have funding secured. It's just that the SEC wouldn't hear it. And we really don't understand this about big companies. But if you're a big company, you, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they've got money. They just write checks. But no, big companies still need lines of capital from banks. And if the banks at the time were saying to Elon, hey, if you're not going to work with the government, we're going to cut off your funding. That essentially means they have to stop making cars, which essentially means they have to stop paying employees, which means they go bankrupt. So Elon did the only thing he could do, which was to agree with the SEC, sign a settlement agreement and keep the money flowing. So this is the first time that we've really heard this on a big like stage like this. Yeah. And I think it's really, really important. Yeah. And I think it's also when Elon is interviewed in front of a crowd, in this case, a fairly positive crowd and the interviewer, in this case, Chris, is positive, you know, friendly, but also keeps Elon on track in terms of his answers. It makes for a good interview with sometimes new nuances, which we got here. Yeah. Elon is so bitter about the position that short sellers and the SEC put him in. He talked again about the stress and the pain he was in for three years from 2017 to 2019. I mean, we were reporting on that every week you remember like he was in pain and now he just kind of called it all back up in the interview and you could see the pain again on his face i just want to say i think we are all so lucky that elon doesn't give up i mean where most of us would he perseveres always strives for the truth and i love him dearly for that but of course, Tesla has also been embroiled in a racial abuse lawsuit for the past few years. Yeah, plaintiff Owen Diaz, a former elevator operator at Tesla's Fremont factory, claimed that he worked in an environment where daily racial epithets were common, and he says Tesla didn't do enough to stop it. A jury awarded Diaz with $6.9 million in damages and $130 million in punitive damages. So Tesla appealed that, and last week, U.S. District Judge William Oreck ruled in a 43-page decision that the $137 million awarded would be reduced to about $15 million, saying that $137 million was excessive and unconstitutionally large. Tesla has other lawsuits related to racism, like the DFEH's lawsuit that's still pending in the courts that Tesla published uh, that blog post about in February. And I just want to be clear, I don't think any worker should have to go through any of this at a factory. And I believe every company should do everything in its power to stop it. But 
A lot of the media has said that this shows that Tesla is racist. Mm. The company, I do not believe, is racist. There may be workers that said things in the factory that were indeed racist, and the company should do something about that. But I want to point out that this is a problem that a lot of companies that grow fast have a problem with. When you've had you know, a company that's been around for 100 years, you have in place HR managers and policies that you've had plenty of time to refine. When you're growing like light speed, like Tesla, some problems like this do occur because you're so focused on putting out cars that you're not focused enough on making sure that you have a positive work environment. So if you watched our Cyber Rodeo live coverage, uh, we covered that Tesla delivered some Model Ys to some lucky customers back at that unveiling. Yeah, we were pretty sure that they were the new 4680 standard range all-wheel drive that has the 270. 79 EPA miles of range, but now we've confirmed some new details. According to Electrek, Tesla delivered 20 Model Ys to employees with a price of $59.9 or $3,000 less than the Model Y long-range all-wheel drive, which gets 330 miles of range. Both versions get similar 0 to 60 times. The new standard range has a 0 to 60 of 5 seconds versus the long range that goes 0 to 60 in 4.8. And according to other employees, this off-website version will continue to be sold and delivered to Tesla employees for the near future. So this begs the question, would you pay $3,000 less to get 51 fewer miles? Yeah, that's a really good question. Part of me says no, because I know that 51 miles is a lot of range, mm. but it sounds like you'd get it sooner which is good. And you know you're getting 4680 cells, which is cool. And the standard range does have a couple new features. I don't know if they're worth the $3,000 less, but magnetic center console armrest and a parcel shelf. I don't know if that's worth $3,000 less, less to you. <laughs> right. Uh, put in the comments below what you guys would do. So do you remember this bill in Oklahoma, HB 3994? Can't say it rings a bell off the top of my head. Well, at the time, Tesla said, if passed, this bill could force Tesla to close its existing locations in Oklahoma and prevent Tesla from shipping cars to anyone in the state, which would force locals to travel out of state to service their cars or pick up their new Tesla vehicles. Oklahoma should focus on increasing revenue and jobs in the state, not stifling competition and limiting consumer choice. Well, that bill was defeated. Woohoo! But Oklahoma's Senate introduced SB 512, basically the same bill. Tesla now says about that, just like HB 3994, SB 512 could be interpreted as forcing Tesla to close our service center and gallery locations in Oklahoma, as well as prohibiting Tesla from offering over-the-air software updates to your vehicle. Tesla locations bring jobs and revenue to the state while serving the needs of our current and future Oklahoma vehicle owners. So, Oklahomans. Unfortunately, you have to get back to work. Please call your reps, send those emails, and make those social media posts. Stop SB 512. Yeah, isn't this sad that, I mean, Oklahomans <laughs> already spoke out. They already told them they didn't want this. And then their legislature, who are basically controlled by Big Oil and Big Auto, are like, let's try it again. And remember, we are sponsored by Cybertruck Owners Club. There you can go to find the crowdsource reservation tracker, which is all important if you're trying to find out where your place is in line for your Cybertruck. So check out their website for Cybertruck news, discussions, and community for Cybertruck enthusiasts and future owners like us. All right, so if you're watching, you probably know that we have another channel called Now Let's Review, mm -hmm. where we uh, review all sorts of e-mobility devices, including e-bikes. This week, you and Ethan reviewed the Unora UHVO e-bike. Yeah, so this is an off-road e-bike. One of the first ones that I think is truly off-road. It has dual suspension, kind of the best rear suspension that we've seen on an e-bike so far. Oh, wow. Um, this is definitely made for off-road. I was very impressed with the off-road capabilities, and it had a range that we tested as better than their claimed range. Oh, that's great, because, I mean, a lot of times 
there's like a rosy range that manufacturers state. So yeah, if you want to go check out that review, head over to the Now Let's Review channel. Uh, please subscribe there and and you know check out all of our videos. You'll get a really good sense about like what e-bikes are good and what e-bikes are bad. Yeah, because like over on that channel, we don't just unbox the bike and like, whoa, look, it came out of a box. We actually put it through its paces. We test its range. We test it off road. We try and break it. Like we really want to show you what it's really like, not just the day we get it. So you may know that we picked up our Rivian R1T pickup truck about a week and a half ago. Yeah, we've been busy testing it, reviewing it, picking stuff up like tents, tables, sofas, chairs, and e-bikes. And yeah, I think we've done more with this truck in a week than I imagine we could do in six months. Well, it turns out that the R1T can do something that we haven't tried yet. Wait, what are we seeing here? This was on Reddit, posted by Not Nearly Normal, claiming that a friend spotted this while driving down the road in Normal, Illinois, a Rivian R1T helping to pull a semi-truck out of a ditch. Whoa, so is this the next thing we have to test in the Rivian? Uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. For instance, we've been testing the range, the driving modes, and the charging with the R1T. And we'll be sharing that with you soon. So make sure to subscribe because there's a surprise. Yeah, it's been so exciting driving around an electric pickup truck. We've been turning so many heads and had so many people stop and want to talk about this. And it's something I haven't truly seen since I drove Sparky with you back in 2016. And that only happened usually when we opened the doors. Mm. Here, because it's a pickup truck and it's so visible and people know what pickup trucks normally look like. And I got to say, this is not what a pickup truck normally looks like. People are like, what is that? Yeah. Or a lot of people, I'm actually surprising me being like, that's the Rivian. Right. It's been really interesting to see. Yeah. So we've been following Vietnamese car company VinFast recently as they prepare to sell EVs in the United States. They're already taking reservations, right? And they have a pretty confusing price structure. So their cheapest car is $40,700 for their 260-mile mid-sized SUV. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Well, but that's just for the car. What do you mean? The battery is a separate subscription. So according to VinFast, by separating the price of the battery from the acquisition value of the automobile, VinFast takes on all the risks associated with the vehicle's battery and ensures a reasonable price for its products while providing customers with peace of mind about the battery's quality during use. VinFast also commits to provide a lifetime battery warranty covering all maintenance and repair costs and will replace the battery for free when the charging capacity dips below 70%. The battery subscription policy is considered a key solution for customers to make a transition to electric vehicles easy Easier, allowing VinFast to become the car for everyone. All right, so how much are we talking here? Well, that depends. Do you want the flexible plan or the fixed plan? Uh, what? So with the flexible plan, you pay a base price of $35 a month for okay. up to 310 miles, but every mile after that costs 11 cents. If you get the fixed plan, you can drive as much as you want, but it's $110 a month. Wait, so if I... So do you want the answer? Uh, what? Uh, it's a classic algebra problem. It's 681. Wait, wait What? 681 miles a month is the break-even point. If you drive any more than 681 oh. miles, get the fixed plan. It costs less. Any less than that, get the flex plan. That will cost less. Okay, but wait. I'm already buying the car, so uh -huh. I'll be paying a car loan. Now I have to be paying an extra $35 to $110 a month? Or more. Yeah, I mean, depending on your loan period and stuff like that, uh, let's say it's like an average, like, uh, five year uh, loan, you're going to be paying about $750 a month for your car. That okay. could be lower if you have a longer uh, loan period and stuff like that. And um, now I'm adding an extra probably $110 to that monthly amount. So when do I pay it off? Oh, you don't. It's a subscription. But well, I mean, don't worry if the battery level ever goes below 70%, they'll replace it for free. But that could take like 10 years or over $13,000. Yes. 
I'm sorry, the other problem I'm kind of having here, and I don't want to sound mean to the company, but VinFast is a new company. What if they're not around in 10 years? Oh, to replace your battery? Yeah. Well, maybe you would uh, not have to keep paying the $110 a month. Huh? <laughs> so I get why they're doing this. Um, car companies typically made money. I mean, we remember that Henry Ford used to send people out to junkyards to find the broken parts from his cars. And when they couldn't find a broken part, he would lessen the quality of that part. So like rear axles, they never found them in the junkyards. Mm. So he said to his engineers, make the rear axles thinner. So they break more often. Mm. Why? Because if they break in, say, five years, you're still happy with the car. Mm. But now you need a new rear axle, which you have to go to Ford to buy. Now with electric vehicles, nothing really breaks. I mean, except for tires and stuff. Yeah. And so car companies are like, how do we make money? Well, this is a pretty good model. You just keep paying a monthly subscription for the battery. Right. In the future, they said that the battery could be uh, you, that you own 50 percent of it and rent half of it. I've I've never heard of owning what? half owning something. I'll take half the cells. Right. Like what? I don't know. So okay. uh, that's that's one thing that they're considering. In the I don't future. know. Please comment below. I don't I don't want to be negative about this. Maybe it's a good thing. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe. So, like, do you like that idea or not? Right. They're not the first company that came up with like a battery subscription model, but it is just kind of a weird Thing at this point when we're used to buying cars. So unveiled at the New York Auto Show, Deus unveiled their first electric car, the Vienna. Whoa, 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 Jesse, why are we covering this? This sounds a little like vaporware-y. Oh, it is. I mean, Deus, which of course is the Latin word for God, talk about conceited. They are a two-year-old company started out of Austria. Oh, that's why it's called Vienna. Except it's spelled like this, because of course it is. Well, if you hate it so much, why are you bothering to report about it? Oh, because EVs need this kind of nonsense. What are you talking about? This sort of over-the-top car that you can't buy is exactly the thing that will help EVs get into the mainstream. You've got to have your McLarens and Bugattis and other completely unattainable cars, except now they're EVs. And they've got to be out of Austria and partnered with Ital Design, I'm telling you. But why? I mean, you're never going to drive one and nobody ever needs to. They just need to see it and hear about it. This is just like when Drake was in the uh, Mercedes Maybach, you know, that, that electric car that nobody owns except Drake apparently has two of them. Uh, and people go, what is that? And it's like, oh, that's, a, that's the fancy electric car. And people go, oh, electric car, fancy. Good. Good, and to me, perfect. Because who decides who buys what car in most families? It's the car guy of the family. Oh, I see. And so if the car guy of the family sees this, the, the Vienna, 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 and they think that it looks cool and it's a car that they want and they put a poster of it on their wall and they're never going to buy it, but they think, oh, that's cool. And it's electric. Guess what? So it's kind of like putting supermodels or like super athletes on your wall. Like you'll never attain that, but it's you strive for it. Yes. But, you know, when uh, little Sally, you know, graduates from high school and, and she wants to buy an electric car and she goes to Uncle Lou, who's the car guy, and he's going, all right, well, let's think about what car to get you. If he's thinking, well, I know electric cars are actually cool, then maybe it's considered to be buying, you know, a used electric car or even a new, you I know. I mean, I agree with you, and then I, and it's just sad, I guess. No, it's, I know. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but I think that it is actually a good thing to have cars that look like this. So there's been this story floating around the internet this week about Mercedes-Benz make a car that can beat Tesla at a very important metric. Um, and I want to talk about it. All right. This is the Vision EQXX. Didn't it go like 600 miles on a single charge? 
right. And normally if a company does something like this, it's because they put more batteries in it. <coughs> One. But this is not the case. Mercedes was able to do 620 miles on a 100 kilowatt hour pack, the same as a Model S. And just to be clear, a new Model S has a range of 405 miles. Right. Now that's EPA's estimate. You can get more or less depending on how you drive. So did they drive this slowly? Because remember that company Next Move in Germany? They got over 700 miles out of a bog standard Model S by traveling at like 23 miles an hour. According to Mercedes, they got up to 87 miles an hour. And if you read a little deeper in their press release, their average speed was 54 miles an hour, which is slow, but not super slow for an average speed. Right. So it's not fake numbers. OK, so then how did they do it? Well, this is where I think some people tend to miss the point. Mercedes did a lot of work to get the car this efficient. First of all, it's smaller than a Model S. So it has a frontal area of 2.12 square meters. Uh, compare that to a Model S that has 2.34 square meters. So it has to move about 10% less air out of the way. It also has a more slippery body. Its coefficient of drag is a very impressive 0.17 Whoa. compared to a Model S's 0.24. Wow. This is a 30% decrease. Wow. Now, one way that they accomplish this is by pulling the back tires in by two inches. Hmm. Um, they also put very flat wheel covers on there and making the whole car you know, smaller and tighter. And then there's the tires. And they did a great job of hiding this in their marketing material. They're 185, 65 R20s. What does that mean again? That is pretty narrow. So 185 means 185 millimeters, and that's the width of the tire. So that's about seven inches. Oh. So for some context, a Model S tire is 245 uh, or 265 in the front. You can get different ones. Um, and 275 to even 295 in the back, especially if they're staggered. And that is 10 close to 12 inches wide. Wow. And I mean, there's a reason for that. Oh, yeah, you can't do zero to 60 times like a Model S without wide tires. And also in control and safety wise, wide tires means more rubber on the road. But it uses more energy to have wide tires. Exactly. So you make all four tires narrower. You save about 280 millimeters between all four of them. And that's about 30 percent decrease in the amount of rubber on the road. That's like one less tire. Yeah, that's similar to taking an entire tire off of a Tesla Model S and using that rubber on the road to try and drive around. Whoa, I didn't think of it like that. And those tires that they have on there are the most eco things they can find. Terenza Ecos, which I can't seem to find anywhere. So that means expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's experimental stuff, which is totally fine for concept car. Well, but they must have had some other tech that really- It like... had a lighter battery. Oh. Again, not cheap. The whole car was only 3,869 pounds, almost 700 pounds lighter than a Model S or 15% lighter. Wow. So this is like a Model S on a diet. Uh, yeah. And it only has 180 kilowatts of power. Hmm. For context, my Model 3 has nearly double that. A Model S long range has over 500 kilowatts and a Plaid has 760 kilowatts of power or over a thousand horsepower. Oh, so I mean, this probably means we, we don't know how fast it accelerated on these trips. And so if it had slower acceleration, that's a lot less juice. Exactly. Now, let me be clear. I have nothing against Mercedes for making this interesting and valuable example of how to make an extremely efficient car. What I do have trouble with is dumb people who think that this car is affordable, practical, or in any way a threat to Tesla. 
I mean, this is stacking a bunch of engineering trade-offs mm. that make the car less usable. You put them all together, package it into what is essentially a PR stunt. Yeah. I mean, to your point, it's a concept vehicle. We don't know the price. We don't know how usable this car is. Yeah. And so it's easy to say it's a Tesla killer right. when indeed it is not. We don't exactly. And so everyone's saying like, oh, all the technology in this car is going to trickle down into all of Mercedes Benz's other things. First of all, 600 miles of range isn't something that anybody needs. No. Um, we've already seen that people will buy a car with around 200 miles of range and be pretty happy with it. It is such a common problem that I get from people. I've been ri driving around the Rivian and people are like, what's the range? I'm like, about 300 miles. And they're like, yeah, I need more than that. And I'm like, well, but every morning you, you leave know? your driveway <laughs> with the 300 miles of range. So are you driving to another city every yeah. day? Right. And people are like, oh, hmm. And it's like, so you don't even know, but you just You thought. just blurted that out, exactly. Right. And so I think that they're taking advantage of this. Well, yeah. if, if we can just get the range to some ridiculous level, right. then everyone's going to think that it's great. And it is great. The efficiency of this is right. awesome. And maybe some of this tech is going to make it into the cars, but are they really going to make well, a car with this many it's, engineering trade-offs? It's like saying, you know, oh, I would buy a Toyota Corolla, but I need more acceleration. And it's like, okay, okay so, so you then, want a Bugatti? Like yeah. what? What? Exactly. So Toyota's all-electric BZ4X has now been officially launched and we have pricing. Coming to US dealers this week, the MSRP starts at $42,000. This is for the front-wheel drive EPA range of 252 miles. It gets 119 miles per gallon equivalent combined. That's not bad. The all-wheel drive EPA range of 228 miles gets 104 miles per gallon uh, equivalent combined. But what I want to talk about is that Toyota just announced that they're going to be losing the U.S. tax credit soon. So take a look at this chart. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How could they possibly be losing their tax credit? They haven't sold any EVs. Uh, because their PHEVs, their plug-in hybrids, counted. Oh, so the Prius Primes and stuff like that. Huh? Right. So if you're thinking of getting one of these, you have till about September 30th, I think, for the full $7,500 tax credit. Um, and then it goes down to half of that, $3,750, until March 31st. Now, I don't know if these dates are exact because it does depend on sales. So I don't know if these are what they're expecting to happen. But It's by quarter, right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, this shows you that, you know, the tax credits are dropping. So if you're thinking about a car like this, you might want to get in quicker. Now, we've talked about the Toyota BZ4X before. It's going to be the exact same thing as the uh, Subaru, uh, I believe the Solterra, the exact same car. And the Lexus. <laughs> so if you uh, so maybe wait a minute, Subaru has not sold any EVs. Oh, so just you go could get, get the, Subaru. the same car just as a Subaru. Good point. Uh, hey, tip uh, of the week. Uh? Hey, and if you want to share some of the clips you've seen on today's show, head on over to the Now You Know Clips channel. It's another channel that we have where we chop these into bite-sized clips that you can easily share with your friends and family. All right, it's time for Into the Future, sponsored by our friends at Henson Shaving. And you just shaved this morning. I did. And uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that with a cartridge razor, everyone sort of imagines that animation that you see on, on you know Gillette commercials where it's like one blade comes in and takes off a little bit of the hair, and then the next blade comes in and takes off another little bit of the hair. That's not what happens at all no what right happens? it's not it's not like cut 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 the first blade comes hits the hair and goes oh and pulls, pulls it out the hair out of the follicle then the next blade comes in cuts it below the line of the follicle, that sounds great and then your hair pings back into your isn't that your what you want i mean that's awesome it's great for the moment after you shave okay because it feels oh baby soft because yeah. yeah, yeah. the, there's your no hair. hair is in your face right now. The reason why you get ingrown hairs 
Oh. Is because of that. Oh, right. They, some of them can't get back out. And so having a single blade razor um, with really good blade control where the blade isn't going to be flexing a lot and like allowing itself to pull hairs out of your face leads to a much nicer experience for your face. Mm. So that's why I like my Henson razor. You can get yours and 100 blades for free if you use the code now you know at checkout. So as we reported on Cyber Rodeo Live a couple weeks ago, Elon said that Tesla is aiming for the start of production of Optimus, Optimus Subprime, the humanoid Tesla bot, which he thinks will start production in 2023. Now we're starting to see even more hiring activity at Tesla in the Tesla bot department. Yeah, look at all these uh, jobs they're looking for. Motion planning and navigation, deep learning engineer scientists, electrical engineers, and control engineers. For instance, Tesla's job website says Tesla is on a path to build humanoid bipedal robots at scale to automate repetitive and boring tasks for manufacturing logistics. Core to the Tesla bot, the motion planning stack presents a unique opportunity to work on state-of-the-art algorithms for motion planning and navigation, culminating in their deployment to real-world production applications. Our motion planning software engineers develop and own the stack from inception to deployment. And what I thought was interesting is almost all the jobs are for Palo Alto, not Austin. I kind of thought this was going to take place in Texas. I think you need uh, some Silicon Valley minds to be working on this robot. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, this is just a joke. Elon's just kidding about about uh, Tesla bot. No, in fact, if you see Chris's interview on TED last week, Elon is super serious about Tesla bot. He didn't really fully, I don't think, understand it until the Model 3 ramp when he was really thinking about robots doing things. And I think he still thought robots meant robot arms like you see in factories. Mm -hmm. And then I think he realized, oh, you need robots that can actually move around like humans and figure things out and be more adaptive. Right. And so then as he worked on AI and realized that was kind of the limiting factor and he was able to solve AI in the real world. Uh, with, you know, two cameras like we have, mm -hmm. uh, I think he like click the light bulb went off and he was like, let's also make Tesla bots. Right. So for anyone who's saying that, like, oh, Elon's just kidding. Why would he be hiring people? Right. That's my question to you. Uh, stupid commenters. All right. It's time for Going Green, sponsored by EcoWare. EcoWare makes shirts that are sure to start conversations with uh, people that you might know because people are going to go, what are you, what, what is the Fremont factory? Why, why is it, uh, you know, 2010? And you can have a conversation based on that. Also, everything on EcoWare is completely carbon offset from the manufacturing, the shipping, and the life cycle. That means you washing it and throwing it away. We've carbon offset all of that. And on top of that, we plant multiple trees and we help cap wells with the Well Done Foundation. So we're not only planting trees, which is going to absorb CO2. We're also preventing methane spewing oil wells from continuing to spew methane into the air, which of course is a terrible greenhouse gas. So Boston and school buses has a storied past. I was actually a school kid in Boston during the 1970s and 80s when Boston was going through its tumultuous period of busing. So what happened? So Boston schools up until 1974 were highly racially segregated by neighborhood. Then in 1974, the courts ordered that the schools be desegregated, and that meant busing kids around the city to better distribute schools from what had predominantly been black and white schools. My typical bus ride, for instance, when I was 12, was about 45 minutes each way to get me to a different neighborhood. So why are we talking about this on Going Green? Well, the good news is that the new mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu, announced last week that the Boston Public Schools, which currently has 739 school buses, will start an electric bus pilot program during the 2022-23 school year, deploying 20 new electric school buses. And ultimately, all of Boston's school buses will be electric by 2030. 
And what's this train the trainer thing that I heard about? Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. The Boston Public Works Department and Madison Park Technical Vocational High School will have this program called Train the Trainer, where 10 mechanics from various city departments will be trained to service and repair the electric school buses. And then they will be deployed to teach their newly acquired skills to students at Boston Area Vocational Technical Colleges. On top of that, electric vehicle training will be integrated into the core curriculum at Roxbury's Madison Park Technical Vocational High School starting this fall. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyone uh, who has students that are studying this kind of stuff, let us know what it's like. I'm yeah. very excited to hear about it. Maybe we could uh, use your help when we're uh, <laughs> you know, working on the MG conversion. Exactly. All right. It's time for Sunspots. So you want to see one of Tesla's largest mega pack projects to date? Check this out. Tesla partnered with Aravon to build the Townsite Solar and Storage Facility, which is located in Boulder City, Nevada, about 20 miles south of Las Vegas. It's over half a million solar panels generating 500,000 megawatt hours of electricity every year that power 60,000 homes. And now they've added 360 megawatt hours of megapacks, making it one of Tesla's largest megapack projects in the world. And this project saves 400,000 tons of CO2 annually. And here's the thing. Mass media is not going to cover this. It's boring. It's a bunch of boxes in the desert. They're not going to. It's like, hey, um, there's a pile up on the 405. Um, and uh, there's Over also. Over to you, John. Well, I'm here in the desert with a bunch of boxes, as you can see. Uh, these boxes, I'm being told. Very uh, interesting piece of technology. Um, oh, back over to you, Janet. There was a murder today. But it's exciting uh, for me yeah. and us other energy nerds. And hey, look, if you're an energy nerd and you'd like to actually provide solar for your household, check out our friends at EnergyPal. They're going to help you figure out all the technical stuff, the tax stuff, all the things that are changing um, because there's lots changing, right? What's the best new panels to use? Reach out to them, link below, tell them that Zach and Jesse sent you and they're going to be able to save you money all for free. All right, it's time for our video contributor stories. And remember, we need your stories. So send those in two minutes or less to hello at nowyouknowchannel.com and maybe you'll get on the air like our buddy Jehu Garcia. Check this out. Hey, Zach and Jesse, this is Jehu Garcia and I am here at Coastal Junction Ranch Store in Richmond, California at the Electrify America charging station. Uh, and I'm charging my recently delivered uh, R1T, a Rivian truck, right? This is my very first time charging on anything outside of the Tesla uh, charging network, right? And it's currently charging at 150 amps, even though this uh, station here is a 350 350 kilowatt station right so uh, as far as amenities for this location well there aren't many because the store is actually closed so there's only four of these stations that are open here and they're actually working uh, they're all on and at least they can deliver uh, 150 around 150 kilowatt right even though they're 350 or whatever but uh this is just a quick video quick update uh my first road trip on the r1t and i'm loving it i mean this thing's pretty amazing we're gonna go into death valley we'll hopefully we can get stranded because there's absolutely no charging over there but we'll see how it goes all right thank you yeah so jehu got the same damn truck that we did uh in the same color 
Uh, why didn't we talk first, Jehu, so we could at least get a different color? <laughs> How embarrassing. I know, right? Um, if we pull up to the same charger, we're not going to even know whose truck is whose. Interesting, though, he did get different wheels than we did. Right, so he's getting a little bit better mileage. Yes. Uh, so I think that that's interesting. Maybe we can... I mean, our weather is never going to be the same. So. No, I mean, he's driving in Death Valley, right? <laughs> right? I don't know if he made it out of Death Valley. I hope he did. Jehu, I hope you made it out. But by the way, head on over to Jehu's YouTube channel. I mean, he is the expert at EV conversions and batteries. Uh, so much cool content there. Go check it out. And now it's time for our Patreon bonus stories. Yeah, we've got a bunch of uh, Investor Club bonus stories this week. But for our Patreon bonus stories, we've got a lot of cool things. Uh, the Cyber Backpack. A little bit more discussion about that TED Talk with Elon that we can't show you on the here. Um, a study about whether scooters are more dangerous than other mm. things. Oh, uh, some footage of another interesting supercar. And more. So yeah. definitely head over to patreon.com slash now you know. You can sign up for as little as a buck a month and see all of our Patreon bonus stories. Um, yeah, we're going to go do those and we'll be right back. All right, we are back from the Patreon bonus stories. It's time for the Patreon shout outs. These are people that make this show possible. Who do we have this week? We have Stephen L. Schlesinger. Brian Mortimer. Tim Major. Donald Campbell. Todd Battles. David Sprong. Keith Scherer. Jesus Armando Gomez Gomez. Albert Davies. Kevin Tagdiri. Michael Herman. Jonathan E. Val. Robert Dressler. Todd Davis. Ken Moore. Elena Gilchrist. Kevin Soares. Michael Lambert. Ryan Tech Engineering. David Nondal. Jeremiah Johnson. Dan Storm. Linda Margono and Peter Stangert. Thank you so much for supporting us. We can't do this show without you. All right, it's time for Community Mail Time. Community Mail Time. And remember, share your stories with us at hello at nowyouknowchannel.com. I want to see all your cool PV systems, cars, whatever. Pamela and Johan spotted this cool Model Y wrap on Centennial Trail. I'm not sure where Centennial Trail is. It sounds like it would be like Pennsylvania. Hmm. Carl says, I work in an office about a mile from the Rivian office or shop in Plymouth, Michigan. An Amazon delivery van that has a powered by Rivian badge on it came by and I took three pictures as it was turning around in our parking lot. Strangely, the license plate holder said Roish, which is famous for taking ice cars from the factory and making them very fast. Also, they're located very close to the Rivian office. Maybe they're helping make Rivians better or more likely helping develop the new van because they're too busy ramping production of the R1T. Could be. Yeah, Roish does a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, interesting to see. Kyle says, congratulations on receiving your Rivian truck. I was thinking of you all when I saw this R1T in Indy Atlantic, Florida this past Saturday. And I like that color. Mm. Foster spotted an R1T in Tacoma, Washington. And David spotted a Waymo semi-truck on the highway. He said, I saw this driving west on Interstate 20, just south of Dallas last week. Had to exit and let it pass me by as I blew by it the first time. It was driving the speed limit in a slow lane. Thought it was kind of cool. And then I spotted this Rivian up in New Hampshire. And uh, so this is not our Rivian. This is somebody else's. But you can see that they also have the Illinois temp tags on it, which uh, mm. they were very close to the Massachusetts border. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if they got pulled over in mass, they would have had a bad time, just like we would have. Yep. Which shows that. Um, well, I don't know what state this car is going to be registered in because obviously it has temp tags. Right. But if it was going to be registered in mass, it's, mm. it's not good that they couldn't get the plates in time for delivery. Were you in southern New Hampshire? Oh, yeah, it was Nashua, like the border of mm. uh, Massachusetts. All right, it's time for Supercharger Reviews. Let's see what's out there in the world. What's up, Jesse and Zach? 
Yeah, that's right. I said Jesse's name first because Zach always gets to go first. Today, Zach, you take the back seat. Jesse gets the front. Let's go for a ride. So here we are, Henry, my son, and I, or he kind of likes to go by Hank the Tank. We're in Davidson, Saskatchewan, Canada, halfway between Saskatoon and Regina. Saskatchewan's two biggest cities. We're on our way to the home opener, Saskatchewan Rough Riders football game. First game in over 600 days. We're really excited. Anyway, this is Davidson. Here's the supercharger that's about halfway between the two. I don't know if it's level two or level three. All I know is it's a supercharger and there it is. So it's pretty cool. There's a gas station if you want to get some gas. And other than that, uh, there's a highway and there's some uh, empty fields. And uh, yeah, that's about all you're gonna get because uh, we're literally in the middle of nowhere. Here's my Nissan Pathfinder. It's an ice vehicle. I'm not parked at the supercharger, so it's okay. I hope to get a Tesla sometime. But anyway, uh, what would I review the supercharger location? How about uh, 14 rotten bananas, bananas out of uh, 20 pink elephants? I don't know. What do you think, Henry? Yeah, okay, cool. Keep doing the phenomenal job, Jesse and Zach. Go riders, cheer on the green. We'll see you later. Welcome to the supercharger in Luchmiesz, just north of Łódź in Poland. This new supercharger has a total of eight stalls and half of them is a V3 with a peak charging speed of 250 kilowatt. The other four is shared in pairs with a peak effect of 150 kilowatt. The location of this supercharger is far from optimal. It's located more than five kilometers from the big highway A2 going from east to west in central Poland. This part of the highway is a tool road uh, and you have to pay extra one time when leaving the highway and then pay again to continue the trip after your supercharger visit. It's located in an industrial area and it is only one restaurant and a hotel close by and if you choose to eat while charging, the Tesla app will start to frighten you with a congestion fee since the car already filled up to 90% even before the food has been served. And I will only give it 3 out of 10 points. One for the V3 effect, two for the relatively clean bathroom and one for the quite good and tasty food, but after a long wait. Isaac and Jesse, this is David from Southern California at the 250 kilowatt. There's 16 of these superchargers at Chula Vista, Southern California in the San Diego area. This area is well appointed. There is many fast food and food options. There's Starbucks, there's Jamba Juice. There is four banks. There are, there's a Target, there's a Lowe's, there's a Korean barbecue. Across the mall, there's a Vons, there's a Bevmo. There's really everything you need. This is a great one-stop shop. I would rate this nine out of 10. Now you know. Hey, Zach and Jesse. Phil here from Terrace Bay, Ontario at the six stall version three superchargers. Uh, we have um, 
A lot around us, we have a small plaza with all sorts of family-owned restaurants of all different types. And we have a convenience store, just about a five-minute walk that way. And so you can use washrooms and whatnot. And this is uh, quite the important supercharger station again because it's on the Trans-Canada up in Northern Ontario, pretty far away from uh, major populations and whatnot. So it's an essential uh, supercharger station, uh, ideally located to be able to travel across Canada in these remote places. Uh, given that and all the amenities around, I would give this a nine out of 10. Now you know. Thank you so much for doing supercharger reviews. I love seeing new superchargers all the time, and there are new superchargers all the time. You can review them over on our website, nowyouknowchannel.com. There are new superchargers in the world. Let's start off with the 16 stall in St. Gallen at the shopping area in Switzerland. The 12 stall in Oxford, North Carolina. The 8 stall in Mazatlan, Mexico. The 3 stall in Kaohsiung, East Skyland, Taiwan. And the 12 stall in Shirley, New York. All right, so not a huge number this week, but... Um, We've had a bunch of weeks of tons of superchargers, so I think that was great. All right, it's time for Patreon's comment of the week, and Bruce said, Zach, I appreciate that you see the potential of V to G, bidirectional interface, and it'll be great if it becomes implemented on a wide scale. I think there's another powerful grid-related thing about EVs that you don't talk about much, which is simple and has a great impact off-peak charging. For me, it's very simple. I'm going to have our electric cooperative come out and put a special meter before my charger that lets them shut the line off at peak times and I will get to charge at half price. I will still have plenty of off-peak charging time to wake up every morning with a full tank. I was talking with the co-op's representative about how this works and he explained how expensive it is for them to buy peak time power when their generating capacity is exceeded. So it appears to me that EVs simply put on peak lockout chargers could help the grid generation run at the most efficient rate. And Bruce, you're absolutely right. Um, we don't talk about it that much. I feel like the problem is we do, we've had over a thousand videos. And so we have talked about this a lot. But one thing is we don't get to experience that here in Massachusetts. Our grid operator doesn't allow for off-peak charging yet. And it's been years that we've been asking for it. So we don't really get to see the benefit like you do. Um, and it's not complicated. I mean, in your case, they have to put a special meter, but in many cases they would actually just do the math back at the headquarters mm -hmm. and be like, oh, it's midnight, we're changing your rate. This is so important. This is what makes EV so amazing, is that if the grids would just start using this more, we could help the grid more. Well, and there's hardly any infrastructure that needs to go in place. I mean, with a Tesla, you can actually tell it to charge off peak and you can set those hours. So that way the car is doing all the work right. and you, you don't even necessarily need this lockout charger. Um, and I would just say, if you want to help the grid and yeah, you won't be financially helped by this, you could just tell your EV to charge when you know it's off peak. And you know what else you could do is just plug it in at nighttime, mm. which for me is what I do every day anyway. Like, right. I get home, it's the, the sun is going down, right. and I plug in my car. Yeah, because at three in the morning, the, the grid has very little use, and that's a great time to be charging. Exactly. Hey, thank you so much for watching to the end of the show. We're really excited to be bringing you some more content about our new Rivian R1T, and so please, in the comments below, let us know what you'd like us to test, because I thought of something the other day, Jesse. What do you think? Of? I was thinking... How dry does it stay in the bed when the tonneau cover is closed? Oh, like I want to put you in there uh, in like a what? in a suit or something that can't get wet, and then I want to just pour water on there and see if you get wet. Do you want to see maybe that? I don't comment below maybe if you want to see that. I don't have to be 
Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll think of something. Um, make sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't. If you like this episode, hit the like button. It really does help. And you've watched all the way to the end. Just hit the like button on your way out. Really really helps this show every little like and and view helps um and, I really and you know what else helps all these people going by right now these are people patrons. that make the show possible um without you yeah we can't do the show that's why we want to celebrate you at the end of the show and, and give your name because you are so important to making the show work week after week and that's why you're up there week after week right. so if you want to be one of them join us over on patreon at the five dollar level or higher and you will get to be on our end credits our patreon bonus story this week was about an hour long yeah so if you want another hour of content you can head over to patreon.com slash now you know yeah and we let you in on a lot of cool stuff there so yeah we'll see you next week guys now you know at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more visit parker.com purpose parker Engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.